0: Enfolding every race, nation, and language. Then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to the Considering Catholicism podcast. I'm Greg Smith, your host. I want to introduce you to someone that I work with every single day. Carla Nisalek is the Director of Discipleship at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church. She leads the RCIA program there, and she and I co-founded the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization together. I serve as its dean, but Carla is the Academy's director and the creator of our Lane Kids program. You can learn more about all of that at the website, lanecatholic.org. Now, with all those hats that she wears, Carla has her sleeves rolled up and her hands deep in the daily work of evangelization helping children, youth, and adults either enter the Catholic Church, return to the Catholic Church, or grow in faith and service within the Catholic Church. And really, that's a perfect role for Carla, because she herself is a convert to the Catholic faith. And because she herself walked the road of considering and then choosing Catholicism, she has an enormous passion for it and great knowledge about it and insights into how to help others on their roads to or back to Rome or maybe to go higher up and deeper into the church. Every day that we work together, I'm astounded by Carla's intelligence, curiosity, knowledge, work ethic, and well, really seemingly endless energy. And and I mean that. As you listen to her, you might think, oh, she's just amped up for the interview. But no, I mean, she's amped up like that all the time. And I mean that as a highest compliment. Carla shows up at the game ready to play, which makes working with her a privilege and a total blast. So we sat down to talk about her road to Rome and her thoughts about evangelization. Carla, welcome.
1: Thank you, Greg. It's great to be here.
0: Why don't you start off by introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and maybe a little of your story.
1: Sure. Thanks. Well, it's always hard to know where to begin, right? Um, But I guess the most important thing about who I am is that, gosh, I'm a child of God. uh, And that you know, Professionally speaking, as you mentioned, I'm the director of the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, Lane for short, and, and creator of Lane Kids. Um, I've been a staff member at Our Lady of the Lake since 2016 and have just really felt blessed and enjoyed serving the church and uh, various ministries throughout the years and in various roles. Prior to going into formal ministry, I've worked as a professional violinist and licensed cosmetologist, so I guess you could say I've been in a lot of different arenas.
0: That is true. Carla is one of these kind of multi-talented renaissance women who's done a little bit of everything and still does a lot of everything, and that's one of the things that's so fun about working with you. In ministry because you bring so many different things to the table, so many experiences, so many uh, skills, and it's really a blast every day to to find new ways that we can do things. But tell us a little of your biography.
1: So I grew up in Northeast Ohio. I'm from a little town called Hartville, Ohio. So it's actually a village, not even a city. Uh, So really super tiny. Um, in faith, I grew up not in the Catholic Church. I grew up as a Protestant. Uh, my f- first experience with the church was probably, you know, a week or two after being born and my parents taking me, you know, to to services or whatever. Um, but really, the day that started it all, really, was Christmas Eve of uh, 1978.
0: Because we're going to hear your interesting conversion story. So just to try to locate this. So you were baptized as a child, as an infant. Correct. For those who are listening, who come from a... for Some of our listeners maybe come from a background where you have believer's baptism, or you don't get baptized until you're a teenager or or later.
1: Right. So that's good to know. I mean, working with uh, people coming into the church, we always want to know, do you have a valid baptism? And what is a valid baptism? Well, a valid baptism is... uh, someone saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, pour some water. And of the Son, pour some water. And of the Holy Spirit, pour some more water or dunk them, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, But as long as you have those words and the water present, and as a part of that, you have a valid baptism. And so, That's where it all began. Uh, That's where I had that indelible mark of my soul of Christ. Sure, as a child. As a child, as a baby. Because
0: one of the things that we deal with in conversion stories in terms of people's baptism is—and I certainly wrestled with this for a lot of years when I was in Protestant ministry—is how many Catholics who— were, in a sense, leaving the Catholic Church, would come to a non-denominational evangelical church and say, I want to get baptized, because I don't feel like I really got baptized. My parents just did this thing, but now I've sort of discovered Jesus in this evangelical church, and I want the experience of choosing to be baptized. So you were constantly wrestling with this, uh, and one of the answers that I gave to people when they would ask if they could be baptized, if they were baptized an infant, was, did you grow up in a Christian home? Right. Because your parents make promise at the, at the baptismal font. And is the faith that you're now feeling at 21, 31, 48, whatever the age is that now you're coming, is this a fruit of the baptismal promises that your parents made when they were a child, that they raised you in a Christian home, and then God has done His work and brought forth fruit in your life. So my question, on that Christmas Eve night, were you raised then in a Christian home, you were baptized as a child, and then faith grew from there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yes, the answer is yes. Um, My parents took us to Sunday service every Sunday, and they really instilled those values of... Christian belief of, you know, tithing and um, growing in faith with the Lord, knowing your Bible, your know, verses, um, and just uh, living a, as a Christian with those those values always. So, so that was really important in, in my home growing up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, as the creator of Lane Kids and mm-hmm. someone who works, obviously, in inculcating uh, faith values in children, it, is there a point at which you say... I became aware of faith, or aware of God, or I had a conscious, or was that always just baked in the cake?
1: It's a little bit of baked in the cake. However, there were some moments that stood out through the years. Some of my earliest memories of faith uh, were visiting my grandmother and my aunt. Uh, they lived in a, a, another little town in Hartville, or in in Ohio, and we would go down there, and around the holidays, and my aunt would play the piano. And there would be like those, you know, little kids songs that you would sing. And particularly I can remember being about three years old, and this is being one of those first moments I remember. And my aunt playing Jesus Loves Me, and me singing it along, and I and I was not gifted with a great singing voice. But beyond that I only sang Jesus, Jesus over and over. And so it became like the joke of the family, like have Carla sing Jesus loves me. Because basically it was just me belting out Jesus's name over and over, louder and louder and really getting into it. Right. So, of course, it was, you know, funny to everyone else. Um, But beyond that, you know, I think as a really tiny person, a lot of people used to always tell me I had an old soul which was strange to me as a child, because I didn't understand, like, does this mean I was reincarnated? What does this mean? Um, but no, um, it was just really that I had a deep longing for God at an early age. And I really just understood like that Augustine quote of my heart, you where know, my soul is restless until it rests in you, Lord. And I was that person. I just kept feeling like there was more Than what I was receiving. And I had, even as a little Protestant girl, um, and where the Protestants don't necessarily have such a a close relationship with Mary, I had this thought um, that always stuck with me at the earliest age that I wanted to be her or I wanted to Mm. be like her. And I wanted the, and even more than that, I wanted the relationship she had with Christ. Like I wanted to be loved like her by Christ. Wow. And so that really was profound for me at an early age. And then going off from that, like, how do I do that? Is that possible? Can I grow a relationship like that with Christ? Does Christ love me like he loves his mother? You know, and I think that really um, spurred me on to wanting to learn and grow more in faith.
0: So this is just fascinating to me. Here you are, uh, a young child that, Growing up in a Christian home, a faithful Christian home, living out the faith in a very real, tangible way, enthusiastic way, you've got a growing faith in Christ, you even have an awareness or a curiosity about Mary, all of these kinds of things are going on, and yet, as you say, there's this sort of hunger that you want more, so you're kind of a seeker.
1: Right, absolutely.
0: So it's interesting you started seeking, and well, uh, I'm not going to jump ahead in the story, but of course, you ended up in the Catholic Church. So how did you, what about your Protestant upbringing, which sounds like it was wonderful, like your parents did everything that a Christian parent would want to do for their child?
1: Yeah, definitely. We went to church and, you know, did all the things that we probably should do, and um, I think one of the things that stood out to me particularly about the parish or I guess, you know, denomination or church I grew up in was just that it was adjacent to a Catholic church. They actually shared the line, the property line. So this big United Church of Christ actually was right next door to St. Paul Catholic Church. And interestingly, as we would go in for, you know, Sunday school every Sunday um, around 9 a.m., We would, you know, probably 8.40, 8.45, 8.50, and then we're running late, you know, because I have two younger brothers, and that's what happens when you have a family of five, is you run late, so we're at like, you know, five minutes to, we're like, oh, quick, we got to run into Bible school, and the bells would be going off at the Catholic Church next door. And then I would get stuck in the parking lot because the bells were ringing next door and I would be so drawn to the bells. And my parents would be like basically pulling me by the hand, right? Come on in, come in in." And But I'm like, I wanna know what's over there. Because those bells are like calling to me and I don't know why. And I just, and so every week this would, you know, happen, right? The bells would be ringing. We'd be running in at the last moment. And I, and so one day, of course, I, you know, being the the kid I was and having to ask the questions because I was very curious, I said to my parents, I'm like, well, why don't we go to that church over there? And the response was, well, though, that's a Catholic church. And I'm like, well, I don't know what a Catholic church is, but, and she's like, no, no, we're, we're Christians. So we're over here. You know, this is our church. So I grew up really thinking that Catholics were not Christians.
0: Wow, that's so interesting because that's certainly what, well, I want to say so that's certainly the popular conception. Right. And it actually works both directions. So all the years that I spent an evangelical mission work, as, an, and, you know, I look back on it now, and I baptized, I can't even count how many Catholics...
1: Right. who were yeah.
0: cradle Catholics that ended up leaving the Catholic Church, um, coming to an evangelical, non-denominational, contemporary Bible church, getting excited about Jesus, they say, for the first time, and they want to get baptized. And I don't know how many times I heard them say to me in their testimony, I was raised Catholic, but now I want to be Christian. Mm-hmm. In other words, it was Catholics who were even Posing it that way. They were framing it as Catholicism versus Christianity. And right. that that vocabulary is is really intriguing and 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 messy. And maybe we can come back to that and explore that later or in the next episode. But I think another thing that's interesting, and I'm curious to hear what you say, because I know you've got a little ways to go in this story. But one of the things we talk about a lot is the 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 paths that people can find to God. And, you know, the three kind of formulation of the three classic ones are truth, goodness, and beauty. And we've interviewed some people here on Considering Catholicism who it was the path of truth. Intellectual inquiry was the sort of hook that God put in them and began to draw them. And for others, it is goodness. It's wanting to be a part of something or do something. Or, But for you, I, that story of the bells is interesting because in a sense, God puts a hook in you that you're intrigued by beauty.
1: Yeah. I think for me, I was really that contemplative stole at an early age. And I just, it's like, I just knew that relationship could be more, that it could be deeper, that the prayer could be more. And I didn't have the tools to get there. It's, it's like um, having something just out of reach, almost like a, a thought uh, that you have and you just, and then it's gone. You know, it's so quick and then it's gone. And so I felt that way so often growing up. I just really had that deep, deep longing um, for more. And I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't put my thumb on it. I didn't know what quite it was, but I knew it was there and I knew it was possible.
0: Was there something missing in, in your Christian life? Well, prior I think really
1: what it came down to was the fullness of the faith was missing. And so I didn't find that until I made it to the Catholic Church, although I wasn't looking for the Catholic Church. You know, fast forward a few years, we did the church bop, and so we went from that really beautiful church next to the Catholic Church to a Methodist church. And so I'm in middle school at a Methodist church, and I'm really involved in youth ministry and and volunteering and mission stuff, and and it was a lot of fun, and we made a lot of friends. Um, And around that time, um, or just after, I met— a boy.
0: Oh my gosh! The story always, in, well, it always involves a boy or a girl,
1: right? Yeah. So it was. It was. I was fifteen, and he was sixteen. Oh we met at a gosh. summer job at the pool, and oh you know, I worked gosh. in the concession stand. I think I've seen this. Worked movie. on maintenance, and uh, the next thing you know, it's you know, it's true love, and um, then a couple of years later, you know, we're seventeen and eighteen, and he says you know, wouldn't it be nice if one day we had the same faith? Like if we were to get married someday, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we shared the same faith? And I was like, absolutely, it would be lovely. Only he's Catholic. And I'm like, Catholics really aren't Christians, right?
0: And you were a Christian.
1: And I was a Christian involved in my church, actively involved, you know. And and he would go to mass every Sunday, but I didn't really see that love of God. the same way that I felt it in my heart, right? So I'm the real Christian over here. So Mm -hmm. I said to him, let's make a deal. If I go to your church and check it out, then you'll come check out my church.
0: Right. And right. then he'll come and encounter Christianity and the gospel and really meet Jesus.
1: Absolutely. This was because the plan. none of
0: that's in the Catholic Church. It's no. bells and smells <laughs> and, you know, right? The whole nine yards.
1: Absolutely. So he said, but the deal was, he he brings to me, he says, well, how about you come check out my church first, then we'll check out yours. And I was like, this is perfect because we, I really just feel like we're going to end up in my church anyways, right? I'll do my time. Except me doing my time was him signing me up for RCIA with his mom as my sponsor.
0: Oh my gosh, this is so funny. So you're thinking, I'm going to go there and endure the statues of Mary for a couple of Sundays. Right. Right, and then get him to meet Jesus. But now, you dropped a word there that you need to explain. We actually used it a little bit earlier in the interview. RCIA. So for those listeners who are considering Catholicism...
1: Yeah, RCIA. So it's the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults. It's the program that's been in place since Vatican II uh, that brings people into the church. So it's a little more formalized uh, since the 1970s than it was previous to that. Um, But it is sort of like a programming uh, and process that you would go through just to learn more about the church and, you know, discover more about Catholicism and, uh, you know, then make a you know, within your journey, whether you would be interested in coming into the church, whether God's calling you into the church. For some people, it takes a long period of time till so that you know they feel that call by the Holy Spirit. Others, it's you know a quick conversion. But I have to say, I had zero interest, so, zero. So just
0: in. let's let's dwell on this for just a second because I know maybe there are people who are considering Catholicism that are wondering what the next step is. So to put a it, a, a crude analogy on this. Sure. It's new members class.
1: It's new members class.
0: If you want to become a Catholic, the step is you go to n- the new members class is RCIA. Now, it's more complicated, not complicated, but it, there's- there's It's more detail. There's more detail than that. There's there's different aspects to it, and you can start it, and you're not committed to coming out the other end.
1: Absolutely. It's what's so mm-hmm.
0: a, a portion of it is discovery and investigation. But nevertheless, it is the, the front door. It's the process by which one becomes Catholic. So if you're considering Catholicism and you want to take the next step, it's RCIA.
1: Correct. And I had no idea what RCIA even stood for was. I had no clue what I was getting signed up for. But we get to the first night of class and my mother-in-law is driving me. My boyfriend is not going along because I made it very clear. Your I'm,
0: future My mother-in-law.
1: future mother-in-law, who, you know, I wasn't sure if this boy was going to work out after all anyways. But yes, future mother-in-law was driving me to class. And I turned over to her and I said, you know, I don't want to cause any disrespect, but I just want you to know that I'm going to tell your priest everything that's wrong with the Catholic Church. And I'm going to do it every single week. Awesome. <laughs> And she just looked at me. I basically think she melted in her seat of the car and thought, what have I gotten myself into? And we went in together only to find that their priest, Father Kevin Fate, had a gift for evangelization. And I had more than met my match. Wow. And so each week, um, I really had zero intention of becoming Catholic and but i I was there to hear it. You know, I had open open ears. And I, I mean, I was there really to debate him. Um, but I was listening. And week to week, I would go home and I'd tell my parents about this. And they're like, what are you doing? I don't understand why you're even doing yeah, this, I mean, you know? So
0: uh, look, I'm just saying from the Protestant side, um, this is a prescription for your parents to completely freak out.
1: Oh, and they did. They did, right? Because here I am this, like... Senior in high school, what are you thinking? You know, are you doing this for a boy? You know, and I'm no, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them everything that's wrong over there. We and then re- I'm gonna bring them back. You we know? raised
0: you to be a Christian and now you're abandoning it to go worship statues of Mary
1: or Right. And and they really had a lot of misconceptions. And so every time I went to an RCIA class, I would come out and my dad or my mom, we would be having these discussions afterwards about you know what I learned and and then I'm sitting there thinking this gosh I'm like defending like what they've just told me to my parents because now they there's uh isn't holding up you know like they uh, how were they were going to explain it didn't make sense anymore it was like that's not I gosh I can't see your reasoning in that and by mid-year I think I don't know if it like hit me at any one moment But it was, I think, the history of the church, and particularly apostolic succession, and the Eucharist, and the true presence of Christ, that just, I was sold. It made sense. I was in, um, you know, my history in the Protestant church went back, what, to the Reformation? Where did my Bible come from? Oh my goodness, it came through the Catholic Church. Where did the canon come from? Who made that canon? It didn't happen in the United Methodist Church. It didn't happen in the United Church of Christ. It came all the way back to Christ, his disciples, and the beginnings of the earliest church, which was the Catholic Church. And I just couldn't deny that any longer. And the more I grew to know about the church, the more I started seeing the fullness of the faith, and the more I had an expression for that longing— somewhere to go. I had church fathers to read. I had saints to believe in. I had so much more open to me um, to, to study, to, to draw my own faith closer to God. And that's really, I think, where that, you know, true conversion took place.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I've described it for me, and I made this conversion step when I was quite a bit older, And I had 30-something years of theological education and teaching and writing and all that behind me. And yet, for all these years, there had been things that bothered me or didn't make sense about my faith or about Christianity and kind of hard questions that I couldn't figure out how always to answer. I mean, had answers, but... And when I began to seriously investigate Catholicism, and the deeper I went down that... I've shared with people before that it was like unlocking the cheat code on an Xbox game. That once I knew the cheat code, all of a sudden, all the levels got easier. And it opened up all these possibilities. You could go to the next level. You could go to the next level. All of a sudden, things made sense. You could explore aspects of the faith that had previously been sort of locked out to you. And it was this incredible—it opened this world.
1: Yeah, so eye-opening. And it really just— it was an opening of the heart for me um, at that point because it was it was everything I had been longing for, you know? Like I found Christ in the fullest sense um, that I never even knew was possible. In fact, when I began the RCI process, I did not even know that the Catholic Church claimed to have true presence. I didn't even know what the word Eucharist was. I'd never heard that. We'd always called communion, communion, right? And so... I had no idea even what the theology of the Catholic Church entailed because coming—I had some misconceptions about beliefs over Mary or, um, you know, that Catholics were really Christians after all. But I didn't really have that full understanding of what the Church was, what the Church teached. Um, I really was— very, it was very unknown to me. So I really came in as a blank slate in knowing anything true about Catholicism. And in fact, the very first time I went to mass at the Catholic Church, um, I I was told by friends that it's going to be dark and cold, and people are not friendly there. And so I walk in, and you know it's before mass, and the light, and people are praying, so the the lights are dimmed. It's dark, and the priest was a heavy set person. And so he needed it to be colder because he got very hot. And so it was a refrigerator of a building. And so it was very cold. So I'm like, oh my goodness, it's dark, it's cold. And then some old lady, we must have taken her seat and she gave me like this dirty look. And I thought, oh my goodness, it's dark, cold, and the people are mean. It's all true. It's all true. It was all true. And, but, you know, and of course that was the first moment. Um, but then I kept coming back, right? And, and you keep learning more and growing and being exposed. To you know, Catholic Mass. What is what is the liturgy, and when it's done well, and um, and you know, there were moments where I sat there and go, "Oh, I know that song." Or, gosh, we mimic that in the liturgy in the Catholic Church or in the Protestant Church, just like the Catholics do. But there were those moments, and I have to say, like there was something when I was a child with the with the Apostles' Creed. For whatever reason, I was so drawn to the creed, even at an early age. And the line that always just hung with me, that I could never just get out of my mind, was I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic. And I sat there, and when I was at Mass that very first time, I, you know, we I think we had probably prayed the Nicene Creed, which I, I don't know that I knew that one all the way, but of course I recognized. The creed from the Apostles' Creed, which I already knew, and there was the line, and and then I was like, "I'm, I'm there. I'm. This is it. You know, this is the one Holy Catholic Apostolic place where it happens."
0: So I, I'm so fascinated by this. So you can look at a moment. So most of us, there's an evolution, I think, probably for anything: falling in love, deciding on a career. Right? You know, it's rarely you wake up one morning and just decide to make a radical life change. Right. Usually there's a process, but often there's some point in the process where you know you've come to the tipping point, the the inflection point, to use a TED Talk kind of word. Sure. You, you come to that tipping point where you know, I'm right on the edge, and if I take one more step, I've gone past the point of no return. So was there that moment for you, and that doesn't necessarily... Have to feel bad, but it does feel like a moment where you say, "This is it." Yeah. Beyond this, I've, I've, I've crossed a threshold. Was that that moment and that moment of awareness that this is the Church, the one Holy Catholic Apostolic Church?
1: Yeah, I think that really played into it, and then just the thought. I mean, granted, I was an 18-year-old kid at the time, yeah. right? So I'm using that mentality of an 18-year-old.
0: Well, Michelangelo was 18 when he carved the David, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So you know.
1: Well, probably I'm not like Michelangelo, but. <laughs>
0: well, you were no <laughs> doubt a bright child. So I mean, 18-year-olds, yeah, 18-year-olds sure. make all kinds of decisions, like whether to join the military or fight wars. Right. And, absolutely. You know. So no, I, I just don't discount that because I think a lot in our culture is to have this kind of extended adolescence where we don't believe that. People who are 18 years old or that can make these kinds of momentous life decisions, and we kind of discount those. You know, I spent most of of a big chunk of my life in working in student ministry, and one of the reasons why I always said that we saw so much fruit in student ministries is that when you're 18 to 22 years old... That's the season in your life when you're making all, it's the roundabout in, on the highway. That's where you're making all the big life course decisions.
1: And it really was for me. I mean, those were some big years. Um, but yeah, looking at that that moment, I you know, I rationalized in my head at the time, not only did I absolutely believe what I was learning, but if I were to stay in the in the Protestant church, what did I lose or what did I gain? So it was like, you know, making that list of what do you gain, what do you lose? And all I could think was that I only have things to gain if I become Catholic. I don't lose anything. I bring my Bible with me, I bring my baptism with me. I, you know, everything, all the, you know, good music, the, the everything I, that I had before, I still took with me. But if I didn't take that leap into the church, I had everything to lose, wow, yeah, and and that was really that moment where I just sat there and and that was the moment of knowing that i I needed to do this I needed to, and it wasn't for a boy, you all know? and um, I think that's really why my parents did support me in coming into the church, they came to the Easter Vigil Mass um where I first celebrated the sacraments and um, and I was very appreciative that my parents recognized the true interior conversion for me um, when I came into the church. And um, and they supported me that way. And they knew it wasn't for a boy. You know, as I work with people in the RCIA, I'm almost hesitant when I see somebody come in the first night and say, well, I'm engaged to someone Catholic because I want them to have the personal conversion. I don't want them to do it for to be married to someone, right? I I want them to have that moment where they recognize this is their faith. And so I and I think because that was so important to me coming into the church that you know, I wasn't going to do this for a boy. In fact, I had no intention of becoming Catholic for a boy. I was bringing him back to the Protestant church.
0: So from there things progressed and you went on and
1: Yes, Catholic. he became Catholic
0: at the vigil.
1: E- at the vigil mass. I think I was explain to some
0: to some yeah. of our listeners who maybe are not Catholic but are thinking about it. W- w- how you go through the RCIA program, which is like the new members class, right? The process, correct? And then that's timed to the right. season of the it's year. It's timed with the season
1: of the year to Easter. Easter in the in the church, the highest mass of the year, the most holy. Day of the year, of course, is Easter, and we celebrate the Easter Vigil Mass. So the the Mass is in the evening after sundown, and it begins with the lighting of the new Paschal candle, the candle of Christ. And it's very beautiful. It's very symbolic. You start in darkness with a campfire that lights this new candle, and you, you come into the church. So in a sense... You know, as you're coming out of darkness and moving into the light, so too do you do that in your faith journey as you come into the Catholic Church and you experience the light of Christ.
0: So those who decide to join the Catholic Church do so at Easter.
1: Correct. They do. So most oftentimes, that's how it takes place since that is that highest mass of the year. Um, and it's and it's glorious and beautiful and and it's different than any other master in year. Typically, it is longer. There's more readings. Uh, there's more music. Uh, we will separ- uh, celebrate all of the sacraments of initiation, so baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. And it's just a really special moment. So many people I know that have come into the church that way will continually return to to that vigil mass. So not coming Easter morning, but rather to that that night, like the holiest of all nights.
0: So at 18 years old, you got the church. Right. Right? You got, got, the, Holy the, church. Catholic church, you got the Eucharist. You got the Eucharist. And you got the boy. I did. So you ended up uh, marrying the boy and I having did. a wonderful family and, and entering professional ministry eventually here at Our Lady of the Lake and then Together we uh, founded the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, and that's been exciting. But I want to ask you a question that—it's a seemingly simple question, but it's not always easy to answer. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that, always be prepared to give an answer for anyone who asks, why do you have hope in Christ? So here's my question. Why are you a Catholic? Now, you've explained how you became Catholic and some of the things that drove you to it. But you're still a Catholic today. You're a couple of years older uh, (laughs) than 18. Um, And you still are. You're still in the Church. You're still committed. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people fall away. You don't have to be a Catholic. You could quit being Catholic tomorrow. Why are you Catholic?
1: I think it really comes down to the need for the closeness with God um, in relationship. But even more than that, I think, why am I Catholic versus being a Protestant? I think it really came down to all of those things that led up to it, the apostolic succession, the creed, uh, the fullness of the faith. And I think why I stay partially probably comes from my upbringing and knowing the importance of having faith and living that out and giving back.
0: So what I hear you saying is that the fundamental claims of the Catholic Church, you think they're true. I mean, famously, G.K. Chesterton, when he wrote his essay after his conversion and said, wrote an essay called Why I'm a Catholic. And he begins his famous essay by saying, because it's true. Yes. Because I've come to believe that it's true. And once I come to believe that it's true, what choice do I have?
1: Absolutely. I I feel like that was definitely the reason that I had to continue with the church, and that's why I continue every day since then. I know what it is to live out good faith, and the only way for me to do that in the fullest possible way is to be here in the church
0: somebody's listening to this who is considering becoming Catholic, or considering whether they should become Catholic, or maybe there's somebody listening to this who's not sure they want to stay Catholic, they're really reconsidering their faith. What would you say to that person?
1: This is the place where you can grow in the deepest relationship with Christ. I truly believe that this is the place uh, where you can have that fullest depth of relationship, whether it be through studying scripture or prayer or community, for that matter, in liturgy. There's nothing closer to God than receiving him in the true presence, in the Eucharist. And for someone who doesn't recognize that, it's sad to me because I think that is so much a part of the Catholic Church, and it has so many graces attached to it. All the sacraments to walk away from reconciliation, from being able to be forgiven of sins, um, is truly sad to me. So I want people to have that experience. I want them to have that love for God in that way and to take advantage of everything the church offers.
0: We'll get back to the episode in a few moments, but first I want to share with you an ancient principle of Catholicism. While we are saved by faith, true faith seeks understanding. Christ imparts to us a holy curiosity. We want to learn and grow and come to know more and more of God's Word, His will, and His works. The Catholic life should be an ongoing journey of discovery. So, if you're enjoying the Considering Catholicism podcast, then join me and other instructors for the next step in this journey by joining the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization. Five years ago, we launched the Lakeshore Academy for the New Evangelization, or LANE as we call it, to foster a culture of faith-filled, lifelong Catholic learning in hearts, homes, and parishes. As the Dean of Lane, I invite you to join me and its other teachers for a wide range of learning experiences for adults, as well as for children and families. Lane offers structured courses in Catholic topics, both online and in person, as well as seminars, audio and video documentaries, and field trips, both real and virtual. There are already dozens of courses in our library, with new programs being offered all the time. To check out the catalog and schedule, and to learn more about how it works, visit lanecatholic.org. That's L A N E Catholic.org, where faith seeks understanding. Our time is winding down, but we end every episode by learning and leaning into one of the classic Catholic prayers. For those of you who are considering Catholicism, Consider making this prayer a regular part of your relationship with God. Lord, teach us to pray the prayers of the Church with all the saints. The Hail Mary is one of the most fundamental of all Catholic prayers. And it's probably the most misunderstood and thus distrusted by Protestants. I think for two reasons. First, they object to praying to anyone other than God. For Protestants, by definition, prayer must always and only be directed to God. Second, Protestants are offended by elevating a human and asking them for blessings and divine favors. Now, to their first point, Catholics do believe that we can pray to saints— but in a way that's categorically different from praying to God. Consider this. We ask other people to pray for us all the time. We ask our friends, our family, the prayer chain at church. And we wouldn't do that if we didn't believe that having other people interceding with God on our behalf is helpful and pleasing to God. The book of Revelation describes the prayers of saints as going up like a pleasing incense before God's throne. And the book of Hebrews tells us that the saints are a great cloud of witnesses, looking down on us, cheering for us, interceding for us. Protestants agree to all of that. But Catholics believe that that cloud of witnesses can also hear us. When we pray to them, we aren't praying to them as gods. We're asking our fellow believers, great heroes of the faith, mighty in prayer before the Lord, to lift up our needs in that holy incense before his throne. Now, why not pray to God directly? Why go through a saint? Well, Catholics do pray directly to God, but we also ask our fellow believers, those who are alive and those who are departed and before God's throne, to add us to their prayers. Why wouldn't we? The second objection to the Hail Mary is that it is unbiblical, that it Elevates a human being to divine status, asking her for blessings or favors which she cannot give because she isn't divine. Now, I thought that when I was a Calvinist, and so therefore I refused to even look into the Hail Mary, much less consider it. But after 20 years of resistance, I finally broke down and took all of what did it take, five, 10 minutes, to simply look into the facts of the matter. And I discovered that this objection isn't true. Not at all, not even a little bit. It just isn't as a matter of fact. The Hail Mary has just 4 lines. The first 2 of those 4 lines are direct quotes from scripture. The first line, Hail Mary, full of grace, is what the archangel Gabriel says to Mary when he arrives to announce the incarnation. Uh, you can look it up. Luke chapter 1 verse 28. When we recite it, we are repeating the words of a messenger from God's throne. The second of the four lines is, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And that's another direct quote from the Bible. It's what Mary's cousin Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, says to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 42. Go ahead, look it up. In fact, the Bible says that Elizabeth called it out in a loud voice. So, the first half of the Hail Mary consists of direct quotes from the Bible, from an archangel and a hero of the faith. The first half of the Hail Mary prayer and the second half are connected by the name of Jesus like a hinge. In the third line, we call Mary holy, which means, as a matter of fact, in biblical terms— sanctified or set apart for service to God. Now, if anyone in the Bible was ever set apart for a special service to God, it was Mary, called to be the vessel of the Incarnation. In that third line, we also call her Mother of God. Now, anyone who objects to that simply doesn't know their church history. I don't have time to dive into the theology here, but every single one of the Protestant reformers, Luther, Calvin, all of them, affirmed the teaching of the early church and the Council of Ephesus that gave Mary the title Theotokos in Greek, Mother of God. Now, I'll explain all that more in a future episode or video, but no educated Protestant can dispute that title. So, in the third line, we call Mary by her titles, holy, Called and set apart for service to God, and the mother of the God man, the Christ. In the last line, we finally get to the ask. And what do we ask her for? To bless us, empower us, shower us with divine favor, grant us health or wealth, or vanquish our enemies like she was some pagan god? No. Nope. Nada. We simply ask her this Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. That's it. Pray to God. Intercede with her Son for us who are sinners today and at the hour that we go to meet him. That's all we ask of her in the Hail Mary. So to wrap it up, the Hail Mary acknowledges who she is by directly quoting the Bible, has the name of Jesus at its center, acknowledges the historic Christian teaching about the Incarnation through her, acknowledges our sinfulness, and asks her to intercede on our behalf to him. That's it. It doesn't mean that we don't speak to him directly. If you've been following this podcast, we've already learned multiple prayers directed to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we ask her to add her voice to ours. For as she showed at the wedding at Cana, her son listens to her. When I took the time to realize all of that, it was the first uniquely Catholic prayer that I ever prayed to a saint, St. Mary. And I don't think a day has passed since then when I haven't prayed it, asking her to pray for this poor sinner. The Hail Mary Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you for listening. Considering Catholicism is produced by One Whirling Adventure, a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a simple mission, to excite and educate people about historic Catholic Christianity and to equip them to live, share, and defend it in the 21st century. We depend completely on your generous donations. Learn more and consider supporting our ministry by visiting One Whirling Adventure dot org.